Let's stand and open our Bibles. Genesis 13, we'll start at verse 1 and read through verse 11. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. He went on his journey from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. The land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. There was strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite, the Perizzite, dwelled then in the land. And Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves, the one from the other. I'm going to ask Brother Matt Johnson to lead us in prayer. I'm going to preach tonight. We've used several Sunday nights to speak on the subject of children and rearing children. And I want to preach on the thought of teaching our children about turning points or key moments in life. Christopher graduated on Friday night. Several of you have children, young people that graduated. And in life, there are a lot of key moments. And I'm glad that I had parents that emphasize making good decisions at those key moments because those moments determine the direction and the rest of your life. I know the first key moment, of course, is salvation. And uh, if you're not saved, every moment after that will tend to be a disaster if you don't have the Holy Spirit guiding you and Bible principles leading you in life. Uh, But then there are other key moments, graduating from high school is a key moment, making a career choice, deciding your direction. I'm thankful for the door that God opened for me to go to Oklahoma Baptist College. And the longer I live, the more thankful I am for those years that I spent under Dr. Vineyard's ministry and the friendships that I made and the preaching that I heard and the character that was established and the Bible that was learned. I'm thankful for those times that we spent together. Brother Matt was there, and Brother Keith was there, and Brother James, some of the finest missionaries that I know and some of the finest friends that God has given me in the ministry, those friendships were made during my years in Bible college. And then we had to make a decision as far as purity was concerned, marriage was concerned. I thank God for the woman that He gave me in Bible college. I can't imagine kids that put themselves in a situation to marry wrong and then know they have to spend the rest of their life in a bad situation or a bad marriage. Then uh, God took us uh, to Argentina and Mexico and now to the United States. But friendships and all those things are key moments. And if good decisions are not made at those key moments... 
those children or that child will suffer the rest of his life. And as parents, you've got to help them. You've got to highlight those moments. You have to emphasize the importance of thinking about those decisions long before they ever arrive. They should already have in their hearts, in their minds, something established, a direction determined. They know I'm not going to choose wrong. I can't choose wrong because I don't want to pay the consequence of this bad decision the rest of my life. And here's what we see in the chapter. Lot came to a key moment. It was a four-way stop in the path of life. And he had determined, I'm going to go to the left, I'm going to go to the right, I'm going to go straight ahead. The Bible tells us that he went out with Abraham. He journeyed with Abraham. And there came a point where both of them, their herds had grown so large and there, were, uh, there was strife going on between uh, uh, their herdsmen. And Abraham said, really the solution here is to separate ourselves and you need to make a choice. I'll allow you to choose. I'll go the other way. And, of course, we know that Lot chose the wrong way, the wrong path, and paid exceedingly for his wrong decision. Now, I want to talk about a few key moments, life-altering moments, life-altering decisions that young people make, that we'll make in life. Some of you, with great pain and great regret, look back at key moments in your life when you messed up, whether that was through a lack of knowledge, a lack of leadership, a lack of authority, a lack of help, or God wasn't in your life. The Holy Spirit wasn't moving. You weren't listening. Now you have to pay the consequence. What we want to do is help our children so they have a better life based on Bible principle, avoiding those same consequences. Now I want to say number one, separation is a life-altering decision. Let me repeat myself. This matter of separation is a life-altering decision that has to be made. Listen, if you would have been born and raised in a Christian environment 40 years ago, even 30 years ago, separation was not a big deal because... Even the world was not crazy in their dress. They weren't painting their hair three different colors. Many skirts were rare. No one was walking around with earlobes the size of a half dollar like they just walked out of the jungles of Africa. But separation in 2013 is a big issue. And I talk to preachers all the time. I just talked to a, a man this morning from out of town who said, I go to Baptist church, but pray for our church. A church that supports many of the missionaries. And they've had to drop missionaries out of this local church because a new pastor came in and brought in the world's music and the world's philosophy and said our church is small and we need to grow and we need to grow at any price. And the first thing we need to worry about, why separate ourselves from the world? We can't win the world by separating ourselves from the world. Let's separate ourselves from Bible standards and Bible music and Bible principles. Let's see if that will help us grow. And it devastated that church. That has happened time after time, case after case, story after story. Brother Matt has been able to travel and 
witness it. Regrettably, Brother Keith, last year as he traveled, saw it. And I uh, have seen these men that stood on Bible principle. And I want to imitate those ministries because I see the success that they've had and the young people they're raising and the marriages that are staying together and the blessing of God over those people. And I've seen the reverse of that. Those that have said, no, I don't want to separate myself unto God from the world. I prefer to separate myself from Bible principle. And the consequences are severe. Now, you notice that it did come out of Abraham's mouth. He was the one that looked at Lot and said, separate thyself. Did you know God believes in separation? It's all the way from Genesis to Revelation. But there are times as Christians we have to stand up and say, separate thyself. And this is a life-altering moment in the life of young people where you make a decision where you stand on Bible convictions and standards. Where you stand on holiness, where you stand on music, where you stand on dress, where you stand on tithing, where you stand on church attendance, where you stand on purity. Because it's a package deal. And as soon as you allow sin into your life, you can't judge any sin. And pretty soon anybody that talks about sin has to be classified as judgmental. Because once you allow sin in your life, you can't condemn any sin or that person will be able to condemn your sin. So you have to spend the rest of your life justifying each other. And you have to stand up and say, separate this. Now, usually if you stand on Bible principle, you won't have to say separate thyself because people that don't want to stand on Bible principle will simply separate themselves. Now, this is life-altering, and there are still people in this auditorium that haven't made a decision yet where they stand. You need to make a life-altering decision tonight that says, I'm going to stand in the midst of a wicked and perverse world that's not going to get any better, that's not going to get any holier, that's not going to become any more righteous. I don't care if the Baptists change. I don't care if the independents change. I don't care what friend changes. I don't care what church changes. I don't care what missionary changes. I don't care what family member changes. I am standing on this book, and God stands for holiness. That has not changed. Abraham had to stand up. Listen, Lot's Christianity, Lot's Christianity was based on Abraham's faith and he was simply going along with Abraham because he liked the social life. He liked the blessings. He liked God involved. He did not have a personal walk with God, but he liked the blessings that came with God and God's work and God's people. So as long as it was convenient, he attached himself. He latched on. He traveled with. But when it became inconvenient, he let go. And here's what you'll see in Christianity. People will ride the wave as long as it's convenient. People will attach themselves to capital city as long as it benefits them. But when there's no personal benefit, when suddenly they have to pay the cost, when they're identified with the separated, independent, fundamental Baptist church, suddenly it's no longer convenient. Truth is not convenient. 
Folks, I'll tell you what, I don't want to win the loss, but I refuse to win the loss by sacrificing principles on the altar of church growth. It's not even a healthy growth. How many ever seen a dead deer, a dead dog, dead cat on the side of the highway? That thing is growing by the minute. As it sits in the Texas sun and those maggots begin to infiltrate its body in the heat. Uh, causes those intestines to grow uh, much further than they should ever grow. That's not healthy. That's called an unhealthy growth. We classify it as bloating. I, I don't want to do any bloating. I want healthy, spiritual, biblical growth. Amen. Numerical growth that comes with spiritual growth on the behalf of our membership. But you need to have our young people. Listen, every high schooler in here needs to have a life-altering moment where you decide, I'm not living on the standards of my mother. I'm not living on the standards of my church. I'm not living on the standards of my leaders. I'm not living on the standards of Capital City. I'm living by a book and by principles and a God that is holy and I want to separate myself. Listen, if you don't see this world and have desired to separate yourself from them in the direction they're going, you have lost your mind anyway. The more I see of this world, the less I want of it. I don't have any desire to dress like them. I don't have any desire to walk or talk like them. I willfully separate myself. Now listen, you ought to be compassionate. You ought to be loving. You ought to be kind. As we preached this morning, you ought to be full of grace and truth. You ought to preach the truth, but you ought to do it with such love and grace that they want to hear more. But I willfully separate myself from the sin of this world. He made a sensual decision. Listen me, any decision you make the sensual is always sinful. He lifted up his eyes and took a look. And the next thing you know, his life was in total chaos. Now, the decision he made didn't make sense. Here's the problem. Here's why so many Christians are making this decision. It does make sense. Think about it for a minute. If Abram says, you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. He's basically saying, hey, you choose. So he lifts up his eyes. He sees the well-watered place. How many of you had a fight over herdmen and over cattle and over feeding ground? Wouldn't you want to pick the richest, greenest, most fertile piece of property out there? Wouldn't that make financial sense? Matter of fact, here's the way God stated it in verse 10. Lot lifted up his eyes. He beheld the plain of Jordan that it was what? Well watered everywhere. You know what? If you pick up your uh, britches and you scoot yourself out of this church and you lift up your eyes, you will find well watered plains everywhere you look. They look much more attractive and much greener grass on the other side of the fence. But look what it said before the Lord destroyed Sodom. Then look at the next phrase. Even as the garden of the Lord. And let me ask you this. If you were looking two different directions and one was well watered everywhere, even as the garden of the Lord, wouldn't that be logical? Financially speaking, 
Wouldn't that be sensible to go that direction? Now let me ask you something. And it was towards Sodom, a very successful city. Let me ask you this. If you'd been living in tents for years, eating dust, listening to your tent flap in the wind, we're not talking about the tents that they sell in this day and age. We're talking about animal skins, rustic as you can get. He had been living in those for years, and suddenly he has the opportunity to be living on well-water plains right next to Sodom and Gomorrah. What would the logical and financially pleasing solution be to his problem? And let me tell you this. Everything he wanted, everything he planned for, everything he hoped for, everything he had promised his children within a short time had come to pass. Was his decision successful? Certainly on the level that he was thinking it it was. He wasn't thinking on a spiritual level. He was thinking on a physical, financial, sensual, fleshly level. That was his concern. And his concern was rewarded because he traded that tent for a house. He's out there with his girl saying, where in the world are we going to find husbands? And suddenly he has suitors banging down his door. Good-looking ones. Suddenly, Lot has nice transportation. We're not going to talk about his wheels tonight, but he had some nice hooves. I guarantee you this, their style of living was climbing by the day. They went from gunny sack dresses to Dillard's and Macy's. Nordstrom's, I mean, they were living high on the hog. But let me ask you this. That style of living came at what kind of cost? And I'm not talking about a financial cost. I'm talking about a spiritual cost. He came to a crossroads, a four-way intersection. You better talk to your kids because at some point they're going to come to the same intersection and they're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to live by standards and look awkward and feel awkward and be awkward in this society? Boy, I hope I'm awkward in this society. Thank God for awkward. Well, preacher, can't you get along with everyone? Absolutely, I can get along with everyone. I just can't walk for a long time with everyone. Because we're going two different directions. If we're headed two different directions, how long can I walk with that person? I can stand and talk with him at the corner, but at that point, we're headed two different directions. We simply cannot walk together unless we be agreed. Separation. I thank God. I thank God for my mentors. I thank God for this book. Listen to me. The more I get in this book, more I desire to separate myself from this world and the wickedness of this world. You'd be surprised what getting in this book will do to you. Oh man, if you just got in this book, it'd actually help you think straight. Number two, the moment of consecration, dedication to God, the consecration of a life is a life-altering moment, a life-altering decision. I want you to think about this for a minute. Go back with me one chapter previously. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country from thy kindred, 
from thy father's house into the land that I will show thee. I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great. Thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee, curse them that curse thee. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him. Now, who here had a life-altering moment of consecration? Abram or Lot? Lot didn't have a moment. He simply hitched his wagon to Abram's wagon, someone who had had a life-altering meeting with God. Now, here's what you need to teach your children. Children, it it doesn't matter if God calls you to preach or calls you to be a missionary, calls you to full-time ministry. It doesn't matter if you work in this church or run a Sunday school or work in the nursery. The position doesn't matter, but here's what does matter. God will speak to you, and you need to dedicate your life to God and for His glory. You need to have a sensitive heart because at some point, God's going to get a hold of you. God's going to get your attention. He's going to say, are you willing to please me with the rest of your life? And most young people, when confronted with that Holy Spirit attempting to get them to surrender their life to God, will refuse and say, no, I think my life is exactly that, my life. Abram, when God came, he made a life-altering decision. He left his city, he left his country, he left his people, he left his possession, he left everything that he had. How many of you have read missionary or great preacher biographies? Every single one outside of a salvation experience had a life-altering moment where they surrendered themselves to God and said, I want to live my life for His glory. Now listen, that's not just something that happens because God has called you to preach. That's not something that simply happens because God is calling you to be a missionary. That should happen to every born-again child of God where you throw yourself down on this altar and you say, God, I want you to know you have my life all the days of my life. And if you want me to be a mechanic or a milkman, a rocket scientist or a delivery man, whatever you want, I want you to know I'm going to glorify you on a daily basis. I'm going to make you my top priority, my highest. I I just want you to know you're above all else. But so many, even in church, don't have that moment. They've never been tuned into the Holy Spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit stopped working. It's not the Holy Spirit didn't approach them. It's not that the Holy Spirit didn't want them to surrender. Parents didn't teach them, hey, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, it would be a good idea just to throw yourself on that altar and say, God, whatever you want with my life, I don't care where it is or what it is. I just want you to use me on some level. I want you to know that I'm willing I want you to know I don't look at my life as my life. My life has been bought with a price. It's been purchased, and I want to glorify God in both, what's the Bible say, body and spirit. You know why Abraham made it the rest of his life? Following God? He had a life-altering moment when he came to a four-way stop. And he said, which direction am I going to go? He made a decision. I'm going God's way. Now, if you don't make that decision, and if your children don't make that decision, at some point they're not going God's way. They're going to go the wrong way. 
Number three, temptation. Meeting with opportunity is a life-altering moment. You need to teach your kids. You need to sit them down and say, Listen, son. Listen, daughter. At some point, not only will you be tempted, but you will have the opportunity meet with the temptation. You better be prepared to do the right thing. How many of you adults know what I'm talking about? How many of you had temptation in your youth, but you didn't have opportunity? And then one day, then one night, then with that friend, then in that spot, then your parents were gone, then no one was looking, then that person showed up, the neighbor was there, you're at the neighbor's house, you're at school, something happened, and the temptation and opportunity met, and you had never been taught to do the right thing all alone, and you fell into this day, you're still regretting and paying the consequence, because when temptation and opportunity met, you fell. Well, guess what? It's going to happen to your child. It doesn't matter if they're 18, you put them in a plastic bubble and you protect them as long as you can. At some point, at some point, that bubble will pop. At some point, Satan will make sure that their temptation is met with the opportunity to fulfill the lust of their flesh. And here's what happened. Listen, he didn't jump straight from uh, Abram's tent to Sodom. He was opening. Here's the problem with Lot. He was literally opening the doors to temptation. He looked. He saw. Then he moved his tent. And then uh, years later, he's right there in the middle of Sodom. Eventually, his course was set. His destination. Well, preacher, I have people tell me this all the time. You can't tell me what's going to happen. You can't predict You can predict because when you get on a certain path, going a certain direction, you're headed to a certain destination. There's no prophecy involved. There's no prediction necessary. That's just where that road leads. Here's the problem. We won't go tonight, but if you take a look at Genesis chapter 19, you know that, listen, Lot didn't, he didn't go from one moment to the next to Sodom, where we see him at the city gate, justifying homosexuality, offering his daughters to be raped by the men and the perverts of the city, laughed at by his sons-in-laws when he spoke of judgment, watching his wife turn into a pillar of salt, living in a cave, having his own daughters commit incest with him. He didn't get to that point overnight. It was step after step after step after step, and he didn't turn around. That started in Genesis 13. That initial decision was made. And guess what? David and Dan and Lauren and Christopher and Adriana and Michaela and Shane and these other young people that just graduated, now you get to make a decision, but you're coming to some key moments in your life, some turning points in the decisions you make now have much larger consequences than the decision you made to forge your mother's signature on a report card with a crayon. That kind of genius got you in trouble, but it had a one-time consequence. But now, Shane, the decisions you make have much larger consequences. 
Now the decision made, determine how much you can be used of God. Oh, you can be used of God no matter what happens. God is full of grace, love, and mercy. But by the decisions you make today, you can limit the way that He will be able to use you in the future. The decisions you make today in the character that you build, in the education that you get, in the things that you do, in the knowledge that you gain will determine what kind of woman you can marry and the potential ministry that he can have and his potential earnings, his potential value, his potential relationships are all determined by the decisions that he makes over the next four years. We're failing to teach our children these things. So about the time they're 23, 24, 25, they wake up and realize they wasted eight years of opportunity. They want to put that car in reverse and get that lost time back and suddenly increase their earning potential, their potential to marry a good godly woman, and their potential for great relationships. I'm sorry you wasted that opportunity. Life-changing moments and a lot really messed it up. I don't want our kids to mess up. I don't want my son to mess up. I have two daughters. I don't want them to mess up. I want them to understand you better go in the right direction and take steps, continual steps, daily steps, monthly steps, yearly steps, and you step the right direction long enough, you'll reach a destination that you like and one that God can be happy with and one that you can live with for the rest of your life. You go the wrong direction long enough, boy, you'll be miserable for the rest of your life. Let me say number four. Forgiveness is a life-altering moment. Look what it says in verse 7. There was a strife between uh, the herdmen of Abram's cattle, the herdmen of Lot's cattle, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, dwelt then in the land. What's that mean? There were strangers that were watching these two Christians fight. And Abram, listen to me, did you know... When there's strife between you and your mate, there's strife between you and your children, there's strife between you and another church member, the lost see it and say, that person claims to be a Christian. I don't think I want what they have. And Abram, verse 8, said a lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee. You know what? Separation is often... The cessation of strife. Now let me ask you this. Who left angered, frustrated, disturbed, or perturbed in this case? Did Abram do this out of spite? You know, it's amazing. The person that stands on principle is usually the one that's considered spiteful. Who was the one that brought up the conversation? It was Abram. Who was the one that recommended separation? It was Abram. But was there anything spiteful in his heart when he said, separate thyself? I want you to think about Abram's life from this point on. Number one, we know there could have been anything in their heart, in his heart. Go with me to verse 14. Because as soon as Lot left, as soon as Lot separated himself, verse 14, the Lord said unto Abram after that Lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes. So if his communication, his communion with God was still on track, there was no strife in his heart. What did David say? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So there was not strife in his heart. He was not angry or contentious. There wasn't any lack of forgiveness. Matter of fact, just a a chapter or two later, 
when the enemy armies come and conquer Sodom and they take Lot captive, it was Abram that took his servants with sticks and staves and homemade knives and went and freed Lot. There wasn't any anger or frustration there. Matter of fact, when God came, the angels of the Lord came and said, we're going to destroy Sodom, it was Abram that got down on his knees and pleaded and begged and interceded on Lot's behalf and it saved his life. There's no strife there. Did you know, you say, preacher, there's no strife between me and them. How much are you interceding for them? There is total forgiveness. How much time do you spend praying for them? Are you willing to go to battle for them? Are you willing to go to war for them? Are you willing to deliver their flesh and body and soul? You know, there's a life-altering moment here where Abram said there's been a problem, there's been a a difference of opinion. Did you know the two men, both serving God, can have a difference of opinion? Did you know that can happen? That's okay. But that doesn't mean that, that there needs to be extended strife. There should be forgiveness. And here's what happened. Let me ask you this. Do you ever see Lot, even when he was delivered by Abram? Can you imagine? Abram had just saved him from captivity. Just saved him. And Lot turned around, turned his back on his uncle, and walked away from the very friend, the very uncle that just saved his life. So grateful, so joyful, so thankful. He just turned around and walked away. Now, let me ask you this. Think about this for a minute. When Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, he had just lost his wife. He just lost his possessions. He just lost his sons-in-laws. He just lost everything that he had spent years and years trying to accumulate. He flees the city. He goes up. He lives in a cave. Do you think that Abraham would have turned him down if he would have showed up at his door? Now, you, let me ask you something. If you know your uncle's a wealthy man, and you have two choices, go live with a wealthy uncle, go live in a cave, what would be your choice if there was no strife in your heart? Lot, even after the disaster that he was, Lot, even after all the bad choices he made, Lot, even in the position that he found himself, he could have still had a life-altering moment if he'd simply been willing to forgive. Couldn't do it. I would rather hang on to this and be mad and feed my anger and hate his guts. It just helps me live. Helps you live in a cave. Yeah, a lot. That's a good way to live. You could have a life-altering moment without getting married, without getting saved, without going to college all over again. You could have a life-altering moment right now, right here in this auditorium, by simply saying, I'm going to forgive, release that debt, and stop living with that in my heart. That would be a smart choice. You better teach your children this principle. You better teach them now. Listen, at some point, someone's going to hurt you. Someone's going to offend you. You better forgive them immediately. It'll alter your life forever. And if you guard that grudge and you keep that anger and you live with that bitterness, that'll alter your life. Genesis 19, verse 1. 
there came two angels to Sodom and Eve, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them. He bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Let me say number five, busyness. And how you deal with busyness is a life-altering decision. I want you to think for a minute. He had wandered around the deserts with Abram. Life was slow. Suddenly he's living in the big city. Now at the moment you see him seated, but that means he had worked hard, gained a position, was now a leader. You don't do that through idleness. He got caught in the rat trap, the busyness of city life. Here's the problem with busyness. You forget people, you forget priorities, and you forget your purpose. Now, here's how you can have a life-altering moment right now. You can look at yourself, look at your family, look at your life and say, you know what, I have allowed busyness to alter my priorities, forget relationships. Listen, when the angel came and said destruction coming, when he went to his own family, his own home, he had so distanced himself from relationships with his children and with his sons-in-law that when he finally gathered them together and spoke to them, they laughed, they hee-hawed. The Bible says they mocked him. How did he get to that point? How did he get to the point where his children were distant and Rebels and had wanted nothing to do with God. He'd become so busy with city life. Now he's sitting at the gate. Now he's with the elders. Now he has a position. Now I can't be home. I just don't have time for family devotions. I don't have time for my kids. I don't have time for instruction. I've got a life. I'm moving up. I'm providing better things for them. Matter of fact, now we live in Lakeway. We got it made, Pastor. Our kids have a good school and a good football team. You got to understand, God's blessing is all over this family. I guess time reveals God's blessings. You don't see, you often don't see how great a decision is for 15 or 20 years. And then you realize, boy, that wasn't as great as I thought. Boy, that was a lot better than I anticipated. Got so busy, didn't have time. Forgot about people and relationships. Never witnessed because he was too busy for that. I mean, as many years as this man had been in the city, Abram said, if there are ten righteous, Lot, all you had to do was win a few son-in-laws. A little personal soul winning. A single friendship. And you can nail that number. But he's too busy. You know how many people in America have lost track of their priorities? They Honestly, the average American Christian has no idea what his priority is. It's money, but he hasn't even identified that. Most men, their greatest love in life is their job. That's the truth. They're too busy to even establish priorities. Family is not a priority. Marriage is not a priority. The work of God is not a priority. The souls of men is not a priority. Life-changing moments and every time, every stop, every turning point, we see Lot making a wrong decision. And in the end, the consequence, you know the consequence, it was severe. Lost everything. 
But you need to teach your children. Life is long. And unless the Lord returns soon, you may live another 20 or 30 or 40 years. And if He does in this world, boy, you'd better make a lot of good decisions. You better make sure every turning point, every key moment is made based on Bible principle with God in mind, the direction of the Holy Spirit, so you can reap the benefits down the road and not be paying a severe consequence.